all hands. So, uh, spill the beans. Nothing to spill, you know? Just a great guy. He's smart. Close your eyes. Listen with your whole body. Funny. People eat this? Whoa! Blind. Oh, I thought you said he was blind. He was blonde. That, too. I just got out of the shower. I have to get changed. I promise I won't look. Virgil, Ethan. Ethan? Are you blind? Yeah. Cool. See ya. Kids think I'm cool. You are. I didn't like the feeling of waking up and thinking you weren't there. If something could be done to give you sight, would you take it? I forgot that it's helped the handicap week. He spent the first eight years of his life having his eyes probed, pierced, poked at. He doesn't need to go through that again. I'm sorry. Virgil, you'll see a lot, but none of that matters if you lose sight of what you want. Ready to get started? Yeah. What if it doesn't work? Virgil? Oh, God. This can't be seen. Oh, no! He's all lost in there. Hello? Believe me, he can see you. He just doesn't understand what he sees. I can't fill out a damn application. I have to have somebody else do it for me like I was a blind person, but I'm not blind. Is it an apple or just a picture of an apple? Look out! I don't belong here. I'm not meant to see. Yeah, I'm right. You're blind. I'm standing right here for you, and you don't even look. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Below Freezing with CJ and Micah. I'm CJ. I'm Micah. And this is a weekly show where we unthaw a different movie that comes in at or below 32% on Rotten Tomatoes. And um, this movie <laughs> that we're unthawing this week um, is quite different from anything else that we've uh, done before. We yeah. don't do many dramas uh, yeah, romantic or otherwise on the show. <laughs> um, even though we might have a couple more dramas coming up later in the season. Um, but I, I saw, you know, I do my thing where I get on YouTube and I pull up a year, <laughs> I pull up a year in film on Wikipedia. And then I just watch all the trailers mm-hmm. for the movies that I've never heard of. Yep. Well, my general awareness of this movie came from one of those uh, weekends at home alone uh, as a, uh, you know, a a happening (laughs) 20-something. To be fair, we have been in lockdown for the past, like, six months. But this was well before quarantine. (laughs) I tried. I tried to throw you a rope, but you tossed it back at me, so. No, all the ones that I've put down on my list since quarantine... Uh, I seem really, really interesting, like gleaming the cube. I'm, I'm very excited to find out what that means. Uh, and I think that does that movie also have Val Kilmer, or is that Christian Slater? Okay, yes. <laughs> Two. Can talk. It's okay. All right. I wasn't sure if you needed to intro me or not. <laughs> no, we will no, eventually, but <laughs> yeah, we will eventually. I was just thinking out loud, but. Uh, yes, the voice you just heard is return guest Tim Stevens, writer for The Spool and Marvel.com. He, uh, he of, uh, of uh, Marvel's Dan and <laughs> fame when we, uh, when we did the Venom episode. Welcome back, Tim. It's so good to see you. It's so good to be back. Thanks so much. Yeah. Um, and I, I sort of uh, like put a blast out to like a podcast group about uh who wants to see these movies and uh you uh you picked at first sight uh had you seen this movie before i had when it came out in movie theaters um i 
I grew up as a parent of divorce and my mom would pick me up every other weekend and we'd go to the movies rather than talk to each other. Um, so we'd see like one to two movies every Saturday. And okay. because of that, you'd see everything at some point. And so we definitely saw this. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, I now and then was a big Val Kilmer fan. So this definitely would have been high on my list. Yeah, I don't, I with the uh, distinct exception of uh, Batman Forever, just Val Kilmer wasn't a big part of my movie diet when I was coming up. Um, See, I've watched Willow like many, many times, which Willow far predates this movie. That was like Val Kilmer at his youngest and hottest. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. I had not seen Willow until like February of this year. And then... Really? Um, I say that like it's not obscure. It, it, it kind of is. Yeah. but And I saw Top Gun for the first time last year. Oh, he so, is that, isn't he? Yes. I've still yes, not yes. seen Top Gun. I'm going to have to watch it at some point because Manny Jacinto is in the sequel, but the world is ending and no movies are coming out, so I'm not going to watch it until I have to. Well, maybe we can pay for uh, pay for the rental for $30 someday. <laughs> Sometime down the line. <laughs> Why would you single out Manny when Miles Teller is also going to be in that Top Gun sequel? <laughs> I can't tell if you're trolling me. <laughs> But I think you are. <laughs> There's so many good people in that. Like Glenn Powell. Glenn Powell. Jay Ellis from Insecure. There's, Miles there's... Teller. <laughs> I'm just saying. That's Star of War Dogs. Ugh. That's mm-hmm. the thing. I'm not excited to see it because of Miles Teller's stupid face. But Manny Jacinto <laughs> has the perfect face. See, so will it I... balance it out? <laughs> I don't have the same animosity towards Miles Teller that you do, and it's like a, it's like a really strong, palpable one because not th- this this sort of ire is not even saved for the likes of Ethan Embry. Yeah, no, this is like this is like my dislike for Tobey Maguire. Like Ethan, no, not Ethan Embry. Um, bless him. Uh, Miles Teller <laughs> and <laughs> Tobey Maguire are in like actors I genuinely do not like. Ethan Embry, I just pick on him. Poor guy. Um, <laughs> but we've named an gonna, award after him so there's that yes we're gonna get him on the show one of these days but the <laughs> oh. and i'm going and i'm going to point specifically i'm gonna get, i'm gonna send him the episodes <laughs> for the movies that he's in to, to listen to um but no yeah so um Again, yeah, I found out about this movie randomly just through like a YouTube rabbit hole that I had sent myself down. And I found the story so uh, fascinating because I had never, I didn't even know that this was possible. Uh, This happened like I think a year or two before I was born. The actual story. Mm -hmm. Uh, Or or, excuse me, or I think the, the, uh, the, um, the doctor who, I guess, um, either did the operation you're talking about oliver Sacks. yeah yeah he he wrote about it um i don't believe he did the operation himself he is a neurologist i don't think he's a Mm. surgeon though gotcha gotcha okay so he just wrote about it in a book called i believe the anthropologists on mars Uh, yeah an anthropologist on mars and uh that book came out the year before i was born (laughs) So you were born in 96, is that right? 95? I thought that the book came out around 91, 92. Oh, maybe I'm wrong. That, That's entirely possible. Um, 
Not, the book right. itself is 95. The essay was first written, I think, around that time in The New Yorker. That's the confusion. Gotcha. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, so, and, and it's based on this guy named Cheryl Jennings, who is one of the only people in the world who was blind and through uh, medical innovation was given sight again. And um, I, which is something I did not even know could happen. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I guess his story would kind of suggest that it can't. Um, well, yes, yes. I, I, <laughs> obviously. To take it separate from the movie itself. Like the movie itself has, uh, you know, obviously we'll talk about that when we get to it. But the real life story is much sadder and much more depressing than the, what the one depicted in the film, unfortunately. I read. Oh, yes. I did not read much about the real life story because I didn't realize until I finished the movie that there was one in mm. the like title card. So you guys will have to go over why it's sadder. <laughs> I don't think that I would have been as kind to this movie as I feel like I'm going to be if it wasn't <laughs> based on a true story, because on its face, it seems incredibly like distasteful and gimmicky. <laughs> Oh, we're going to yeah. talk about that because even if you take it in the effect that it's a true story, there's some very weird it's attitude pretty towards blindness like in this yeah. movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but yeah, the uh, actual guy, uh, Cheryl Jennings, he was only able to see uh, like for how how long was it? Like a few yeah, I was going to say it's like a few, few months, months, maybe. Yeah, something like that. And uh, I think that the movie does do well in depicting the initial problems mm-hmm. that, I guess, as it is depicted in the film, as it was in real life, you know, they just didn't know what to do because this was sort of new territory. Right. There's a sequence in the movie where... Um, uh, he's seeing for the first time and it is completely foreign to him and he sort of just goes into a panic attack mm-hmm. because uh, just there the sensory connection is not there there are just now images in his brain and he has no connection to them whatsoever um so i i and i, and I want to talk about all that but micah do you have the consensus <laughs> in the score pulled up i do so the score is 32 percent right on the cusp there right on the cusp <laughs> one more positive <laughs> review and it would have been out of not an option uh, the consensus is interesting premise, but too long and conventional. Yes. Yeah, I, and I, and would I agree say, with all of that. Yeah, and I would say this, uh, one, yes, it is too long, because you know me, most movies are too long. <laughs> yeah. And the, <laughs> the second one is, this is the type of movie that I think that other people think Titanic is. Hmm. Mm. I see, yeah, I, like, see, I see what you mean. Like this sort of like, wrought um unnecessary romantic melodrama Mm. right it is very melodramatic yeah Yeah, and not to say that titanic is not a melodrama how can it not be a melodrama it is about the sinking of a cruise ship (laughs) but the (laughs) but the uh there is just like underlying like characterization and like uh, technical know-how and just filmmaking prowess on display there that i think elevates it a little bit above most romantic melodrama especially of the time and and this is this is something that i'm sort of like 
becoming really sort of like cognizant of because I am watching so many romance movies from this era mm-hmm. as of late. I've I've gone on a huge like romantic comedy spree and it's yeah, I've been, been going kick. backwards. And um and I haven't really dipped into romantic dramas and stuff like that. Like I have like they tend to like be towards the end of the list when I'm certain when I've got like my watch list pulled up. Mm-hmm. Like I've had for, uh, an officer and a gentleman in my fucking like prime uh queue for like months now and I'm just like, Am I ready for this? <laughs> um <laughs> It's got the song, but is the song that, enough? That one's good, though, because you know the two stars hate each other. So you just get to think about that every time they kiss, because they apparently loathed each other during the making of that movie. So you just think about how much more uncomfortable it was for them because they wanted to kill each other during that film. I've been there, and it's not fun. <laughs> yeah, I would say that it's probably uh, a boon for the movie, chemistry-wise, if they hate each other. However... That's not always the case because those two folks from the Fifty Shades of Grey, they're awful together and they uh, and they hate each other too. So it's not really a, a True. rule there. There's a lot of source material so, problem with uh, that one though too. So. Yeah, uh, there's other issues. <laughs> and uh, Jennifer Grey and Patrick Swayze hated each other too. Yeah, that's my other point of reference. Oh, okay. Which is fun. That scene where he's dragging his fingers down her arm and she keeps, like, giggling. That was just her genuine responses. And the look on his face where he clearly just wants to strangle her was genuine. (laughs) But the filmmakers thought it was funny, so they kept all those takes in. Which I think is Yeah. (laughs) But speaking of stars, um, the uh, co-star for Val Kilmer here is Amira Sorvino, who Mm -hmm. is an actress that I have so little point of reference for i don't know if i've ever seen her in anything else i'm definitely not aware of it if i have well you guys know why right yes yes i am that that that's the next thing i was going to bring up is because uh her career was basically just torpedoed by harvey weinstein oh uh, and she she had uh, made her big break in i believe the movie's called mighty aphrodite that's correct the allen movie um uh movie was everyone was like oh it's the movie's fine but this girl mira Mira sorvino she's amazing in it and uh she sort of had like a a a big like late 90s string of uh stuff like romeo michelle's high school reunion which Mm -hmm. i have seen but i haven't seen in a very long time and um and mimic which uh i also have seen and I really like Mimic. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm a, I was a big fan of like the late 90s monster horror mm. movie. That, uh, that was the, besides like Scream and those sort of like teen slashers of the time, that was definitely the the horror of my taste. But, uh, but yeah, other than that, like um, she's a name that sometimes you hear bandied about when people are talking about actresses you know but um it's uh because of the uh obvious uh awful sexual harassment and stuff Mm -hmm. she endured from harvey weinstein yeah so she is she i I guess rebuffed a lot of his advances and he retaliated Mm -hmm. by basically telling no one to hire her um and using his connections uh in hollywood to basically end her career right 
Yeah, she, so she wins the Oscar in 95 for Mighty, uh, Mighty Aphrodite. And then if you just look at her filmography, this is one of sort of the last films she made before her career just dropped off a cliff. She makes At First Sight and Summer of Sam in 99. And the next movie you might recognize is Gods and Generals. Uh, and then Reservation Road, and that's 2003 and then 2007. But there are movies in between. They're just nobody ever heard of them because she's sort of reduced to B-League kind of films. Um, mm -hmm. Because, you know, Weinstein had a tendency to, if you did rebuff his advances, to poison the well. Tell everybody you were hard to work with, you were crazy, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so I'm not sure exactly what he did in her case, but he made it impossible for her to find uh, the kind of work that she probably should have been in at the time. Yeah, which is a shame because uh, I think she's great. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's a shame no matter the actress, but she is quite good. I didn't like this movie. I mm. don't know that I necessarily like her and Val Kilmer together. I did at the beginning. I thought their mm -hmm. chemistry was good. Right in the first, like, 30, 40 minutes. But then after that, the movie itself just kind of kills it. It's when the movie stops being sexy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because the movie takes a lot of pains deliberately to be sexy in that first third. Mm -hmm. um, because they... It's... You remember that term that people used to use, handicapable? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It felt like the sort of cinematic equivalent of that. They were just like, they want you to know, like the whole thing was about him being sexy before he was blind. Mm. And the more they got, the more the movie got into being about his blindness and then the procedure and then his sight and stuff like that, the less like uh, erotic mm -hmm. it became because it started off very strong in terms of eroticism and mm. like even to the point that like the first time they have sex which and we're aware that he's blind and everything like that via it's almost like the awareness of him being blind narratively just lets them get away with like things not being hot anymore and for lack of a better way to explain mm. it i think it's like because even their first sex scene that they have is completely different from the way that they film the first time she's getting the massage mm -hmm. from him mm -hmm. and something and stuff like that. So I, I found that kind of odd. That was like one of my notes. I was just like, that's weird that the massage at the beginning is so intensely erotic because it is. Mm -hmm. right. And, and then when actual eroticism, like actual, like, graphic eroticism is supposed to be happening on screen nothing well that was one of the things i noticed you know i've seen obviously i've seen val kilmer in a ton of stuff um i've seen him kiss people in movies i've seen mira, mira sorvino in movies kiss people they kiss each other like they've never kissed anyone in their entire lives like their lips yeah. are not touching like they're missing each other it's very strange um again i know he's supposed to be blind but blind people kiss other people like it's not an impossibility yeah. and she can see so like she knows where his lips are at least it's just mm -hmm. they're shot like they like i said their lips miss each other like there are shots of him like kissing her lower lip but her top lips completely exposed and it's clear it's not like um that's his move kind of thing it, it's just very mm -hmm. strange i don't know uh why they were directed in that way 
Yeah. Oh, Micah. Uh, mm. Betsy Brannigan on that show Psych that you like. Mm-hmm. That's Mira Servino. That's Mira. Yeah, 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 yeah. I realized, I looked up her filmography and I was like, ah, that's why she looked familiar. She's on Psych. You mean that show everybody likes, right? I, uh, Should be. Have you ever seen it, CJ? <laughs> It's so good. It's so, great. It's one of those shows that I always assumed was like, like other people are watching it and that's fine because I always have like a full <laughs> plate of things to be consuming. It's one of these things that I was okay in, uh, in sort of not ever engaging with because like it, it, Linda Holmes, who hosts Pop Culture Happy Hour over on NPR and uh, and writes Monkey See for them. I don't know if the blog is still called Monkey See, but the um, she wrote this article a few years ago uh, uh, that was a celebration of the of the fact that nobody will ever be quote unquote well read. You cannot see everything and i have a pocket of things that i'm sort of just okay not engaging with and a lot of that is like uh the basic cable program that i call the 30s um because uh from like 29 to about 42 uh which encapsulates the 30s this is where you get your usa it's where you get your true tv it's where you get all these sort of like channels that feature shows like burn notice and why are you afraid of characters I'd, I'm not afraid of characters. I even watched one of the USA shows, the one with uh, about the um, Witness Protection Agency. Ah, yeah, in plain sight. Yes, that one. That I, one's I was great. a big fan of that one. And then, uh, you know, um, nothing else, just the guy from um, Burn Notice, uh, the, not the, not Bruce Campbell, but the Jeffrey. Main guy. I want, it's not Morgan, but all I can think of is Jeffrey Morgan. But yeah, the main guy from Burn Notice, his face is weird. Um, <laughs> the uh, um, uh, Matt Bomber, I don't trust people who's who look like that because I mean, you like if you're too conventional, he's a attractive. beautiful human being. He is a beautiful man, but if he were to come mm-hmm. up to me in a bar, I would immediately assume that he wants like an organ to sell on the black market. <laughs> like it is, and I, and I would say, give me the scalpel. <laughs> <laughs> I am here I, for you, Matt. What do you need? I'm 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 immediately mistrustful of people who are who are that fine. Um, but uh, anyway, back symmetrical. to back to this. Burn notice is Jeffrey Donovan, by the way. Jeffrey Burn Donovan. Is, there you go. Sorry. Definitely thought you said Jeffrey Dahmer, and that's a whole different. Yeah, I'm not world. no fan of him either. <laughs> His career was relatively short. Very few very few film credits for him. Yeah. So, um, but but yeah, there's uh, the film sort of starts with uh, Mira Servino as this character Amy, who's going on a spa mini vacation thing from her work, and uh, she. This movie makes a big deal about how just adverse to exercise she is, <laughs> which I found very relatable. I said, you know what, good for you. You get some massages and do nothing else. You're on vacation. Yeah. It's very weird because at one point, there's a couple points where she takes off her clothes. And if she's not exercising, she has inhuman metabolism. So it's very funny. She's quite small. Yeah. It's very funny. They make a big deal like, oh, no, she she hates exercise. 
guys, right? Uh, and <laughs> like there were like four different jokes about it within the first ten minutes of mm-hmm. the movie. Yeah. And um, but she gets there and she's just like, I just want massages every day. And they're like, cool. And so she walks into the uh, sort of parlor of the spa where they're they're uh, everyone gets their massages, and uh, she hears um, very aggressive moaning coming from inside the actual massage room and like and like jokes this woman's making about oh can i bring you home oh your husband wouldn't like that oh i'm getting divorced like they're really playing it up which on the one hand like it sounds super convincing but then on the other hand we all know what's happening because she's going in there for the purpose of getting a massage it puts you in a mindset for the <laughs> massage scene that's right. coming up next. And they, they're they doing a lot to sort of obscure the fact that Virgil, the Val Kilmer character, is blind. Uh, so he tells her to come in and strip down and get on the table. And then we have... You have, uh, as we said before, this very erotic massage scene. But then she starts crying. Mm-hmm. And I ha- I have to say... This, I heard on a podcast earlier this week that someone did yoga for the first time and started crying. Like, I want this sort of, like, intense emotional release that people are getting from, like, yoga and massages. Because I've done <laughs> well, both of those I, things. No, I don't. I do not want that to happen. And it's never like, I saw her start me. crying and I was like, I, I get that, but I don't want it. like i can see how it would happen like she's clearly extremely pent up and repressed from work Mm -hmm. being like super busy and stuff like she probably needed it Mm -hmm. but i don't want it (laughs) (laughs) i do i just think it would be an interesting experience i'm just like i don't know what's pent up in me that would be like sort of i don't know but also it's just like are these the type of are these people like you know breaking down at the chiropractor i i don't (laughs) (laughs) i don't know i don't know where this would come from so um yes it's a very emotional uh uh, experience for amy and she is uh she asks virgil to stay with her while she just lets it all out uh until she falls asleep which that i have experienced crying so hard until you fall asleep Hmm. is uh something that i don't uh suggest to anyone because it usually involves a headache (laughs) and um and and crying so hard that you get headaches is not healthy (laughs) so the because she's asleep he uh ends up leaving and stuff like that and she sort of chases after him until she sees him catching his ride and that's when we find out that virgil is blind this script is doing the thing that I the sort of sitcommy thing that a lot of people do uh with disabilities uh characters with disabilities do where um almost every third line out of their mouth is a joke reference to their disability yeah Val can't stop or Val or Virgil can't stop making what we know as the audience and what he knows are jokes about the fact that he can't see mm-hmm. um she doesn't react to them, but they must seem incredibly bizarre to her before she realizes he's blind. <laughs> like I have to think because he kind of ch- like he has a smirk every time he says it, and from the other side, it must seem like that's like 
really sort of full of himself. <laughs> he just said he'd see me later, and he's got this smirk like he's the funniest guy in the room. I don't know what's going on here. You saying that just reminded me of the worst possible comparison my brain could make. Oh, please do which tell. Which is all of the jokes that Hannibal makes in Hannibal about being a cannibal. <laughs> he makes subtle jokes about it constantly. <laughs> I didn't draw the comparison until you remind. Like, we're saying that, like... He was making all these jokes, and I didn't notice at the time because we clearly know that he's blind. Mm-hmm. But that's that's the association my my mind made just I now was Mess Mickelson making all these references to being a cannibal in Hannibal. Yes. So anyway, um, <laughs> she uh, discovers that he's blind, and he gets on uh, this bus back to his home, uh, where we meet his sister. And I think the sister is the most interesting character in the movie. Speaking of Top Gun. I agree. Oh, is that her? Movie? Yeah, that's the love interest from Top Gun. Oh, shit. Well, that's the only other movie I've seen this lady in, so that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> <laughs> um, she Wow. They, they really uh, gave her that very severe mid-90s sort of bouffant thing yeah uh uh to make her look older even though i mean she was older than the guys in top gun when they were in top gun but the uh but still i was like huh that's wow i did not notice that at all yep but uh we do meet the sister and she is very much in a groove of helping her brother through the day she's making him food and um, I like the little system they have where she tells, uh, like, uh, sort of uh, clockwise, like you would see on like a steering wheel, or like understand a steering wheel when you're learning to drive and stuff like that. That's how she tells them what food is where on the plate and things like that. I thought those were interesting little details. Mm-hmm. I think the movie mm-hmm. is full of interesting little details like that. I wish they would have leaned more into details like that about what his life as a person with blindness is like than they did other things later on in the movie. Like, the way that they choose to hyper-focus on his blindness in other ways, are it, it becomes really ableist really fast. Yes, yes. Um, I, but it didn't start that way. I don't think entirely like it shows you his system. You know, this is, this is his ride from work until home. It shows you how self-sufficient he is because generally speaking, his sister cooks for him, Mm -hmm. but otherwise like he lives alone. He has, you know, a means of transportation. Mm -hmm. He has a job that he clearly has no issues doing and that he's good at. He has a hobby he he seems to do every day, or at least during the winter he does every day. He goes and skates and plays hockey at the local pond. Yeah. He knows how to, you know, uh, access and uh, work all the appliances in his house. He can, you know, uh, shower by himself and all that stuff. He's got like a system. And the scene with his sister, I think is intended to set up what will be important later is that, not only does he have a system, he's tired of it, though, because he knows exactly where she put the food on his plate mm-hmm. as she's telling him. So it makes it clear, yeah. not only does she tell him where things are via, like you said, the clock face, but she always puts it in the same place, which I think is supposed to be suggesting that he is kind of stuck in this routine, mm-hmm. which is why it's significant. He goes to the city, and that's important for him to do. But like um, Mike was saying, they 
never take that extra step to continue that going forward. So you kind of lose the thread that, yeah. you know, his he's sort of in a gilded prison, if you will, uh, back home because they, they drop that so quickly. Yeah. Yeah. And, the, and it ends up feeling like it's only for Amy and his relationship with her. Mm-hmm that that he goes to new york at all like it's like she is the only impetus for him making these decisions Mm -hmm. and speaking of that i want to talk for a second about how presumptuous people always are in movies with situations like these like i feel like it's a plot thread i have seen so many times him and amy they have fallen in love rather disney style mm-hmm. it's been like two massages and a walk yeah. and and they and there's i mean his his first which... massage was so good she wept so despite the fact that That's he can't true. kiss her apparently he's very good with his hands i mean in the second massage scene it sure looks like yeah it. they're mm. both breathing very heavily <laughs> super heavy which he kind of continues to do for the rest of the movie. I don't know if that's just a Val Kilmer thing. It's a choice. <laughs> it seems a choice. Anyway, so they have their Disney-length initial romance. Mm-hmm. And then she... So that's all the time they've spent together, right? They've had two massages, they went on a walk, and then they've spent the night together, which, you know, no judgments there. Like, Are you sure? You know, it you seems guys... like you're judging. <laughs> I'm judging what happens next. Should they have gotten married? Is that the problem? No, 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 no. <laughs> what happens next is that she opens up this like scrapbook of his, right. sees an article he's saved from an ophthalmologist. I think it's an ophthalmologist um, and not some other kind of surgeon. But mm-hmm. she just like calls him and is like, I know a guy who's definitely going to want surgery, even though I've only known him for like maybe 36 hours and I'm calling you without his knowledge or consent. Guys. Mm-hmm. Yes. Is Amy capitalism? <laughs> I mean, kind of actually. Kinda, yeah. <laughs> She's sort of I like. I literally said that out loud to the television. <laughs> She's sort of like repentant capitalism because she's got that whole bit. She's also working on, it's a later subplot. She's trying to make a mall, right? Is that the deal? Mm-hmm. But she wants to incorporate like so. nature into the mall. Yeah. But she is also definitely making a mall. <laughs> so mm-hmm. yeah, kind she's, of. <laughs> she's, yeah, she's the, she's the car company who starts making hybrids because they say they're more green, mm-hmm. but they know they'll just sell more cars. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, she that was that was the whole thing. Like the rest of the timeline of their romance, like cough, cough, black is king, cough, cough. Um, the <laughs> like whatever you do, you guys. But the fact that she thought it was chill to just call a surgeon and like schedule this man an appointment to completely change his life, a life that, for all intents and purposes, we think, or at least I thought, yeah. he seemed pretty content with. He seems to like his job yeah. and be happy with it. He likes he walking his... to the end of the town and listening to the rain. What? Okay, so I, I personally don't know any blind people. But I personally have also seen so many movies where, like, blind, where like blind characters make, like, large, like thematic metaphors out of the rain like the hit film daredevil like the hit film daredevil yeah. and the... 
the hit film Daredevil starring Ben Affleck, Jennifer Garner, and lots and lots of butt rock. Um, the the last movie I saw as an unmarried man. It's huge significance for me. Mm. <laughs> I forced my mother to take me to go see it on Valentine's Day. Oh, that's when it came out. I got Valentine's Day. I got you better. A buddy and I saw it Valentine's Day because. Uh, I was long distance dating my girlfriend and his girlfriend was abroad. So we went and saw it together with big comic book nerds. Then we convinced all our friends who did have their girlfriends and boyfriends on campus to all come with us to see it again that night. So we ruined wow. all of our friends' Valentine's Day. By <laughs> 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 convincing them like, no, 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 no. You can't afford to wait to see Daredevil. You need to. You gotta see the You won't understand bags. Evanescence unless you see this movie. <laughs> what a great con. My favorite thing about the hit movie Daredevil is that there were a bunch of Evanescence fan gatekeepers that were telling people if they discovered Evanescence because of Daredevil, they mm-hmm. weren't real fans. Mm-hmm. Right. Gotcha. Which I think is hilarious. I guess. Man, that, wow, that's something. <laughs> the, two, the early 2000s were a time. The, um, the music cues in that movie are amazing. There's the one where they're panning up on Michael Clark Duncan, and they just, uh, the nerd song that starts with, I'm a gangster. It's just quality. Because <laughs> you didn't know that Kingpin was a bad guy unless they told you via verse, he's a gangster. <laughs> Lest we forget the just cinematic tour de force that was the sequence in Daredevil where Jennifer Garner and Ben Affleck are fighting each other in a playground. So good. Doesn't at some point he like hit her in the face with like one side of a seesaw? Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Guys, it's 44%. (laughs) It's 44%. It's too high for our purview. I thought I'd found Tim's next movie. <laughs> well, here's the thing. Well, Tim's next movie is The Punisher. We'll get to it. Oh, but the... <laughs> oh, we're talking Dolph Lundgren. Getting you oh, thought nice. you were safe. You're not. Um, but the but one thing I find interesting, and we will totally get back to that first sight after this, but uh, about... Uh, <laughs> about the hit film Daredevil is that there's this director's cut that everyone is just like well you have to watch the director's cut because the director's cut is good the director's cut has Coolio in yeah. it that's the it. director's cut is Coolio intensive in fact that's it <laughs> well they're right it's not the that? director's cut it's just the Coolio cut <laughs> but the people telling you that you need to see it aren't wrong this isn't a Snyder Cut situation. Oh, God. <laughs> well, yeah, well, that's because this cut existed. Right, right. there's that. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, anyway. Um, so uh, something, that's another thing. When I, when I brought up this uh, sort of looming specter of like, not explicitly capitalism, but like the sort of like palpitating uh, need to be more or something else than what you are Mm -hmm. that capitalism forces upon all of us um is sort of this looming specter over the movie 
but I don't even know if I want to call it a looming specter because it's one half of the central couple. Like, right. <laughs> yeah, it's not looming. It's it's not a specter. It's it's there. It's just it's there. Um, and she, it all culminates in this little speech she has after this is this is at the end. Um, so spoilers, I guess. Um, where he has told her that he is um, losing his sight again. He's going to go home um, to the town. I assume it's like upstate New York yeah. that he's supposed to be from. Mm-hmm. He's going back upstate, back home. Um, and she gives him this speech about how, like, how could you possibly be happy there? And how could you how could you be satisfied just doing your little massage therapy job in not the city where your sister is? Like, it just it was yeah. it was peak patronizing and really what is capitalism but patronization <laughs> yeah that 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 whole speech was like embodiment of why nobody is ever paid enough for yeah, anything it, it, it made my skin crawl it was so condescending mm. especially when the movie did not give us context for him being unhappy with that life. Right, yeah. It seemed pretty good, honestly. Like He wanted to I... see because she wanted him to see. She sort of yeah. willed Liss into, in, into sort of uh, being. And you have this situation where, like, she literally cannot understand. Right. why he wants to just live why he wants to live the life or why he would be insulted by that she goes to talk to his sister and his sister like rightfully tells her off because she's just like yeah he has a life and what you're trying to do is upend that life and this is another thing earlier we talked about you know the sister always putting the food on the same plate like they sort of have the setup that they could have used which is she finds this article in his scrapbook if she goes and asks him about it and his response is, I don't know what you're talking about. I've never heard of this. Then you have a subplot where the sister has been aware of this information and been hiding it from him. She's sort mm-hmm. of kept him here to protect him because there's elements of that. Uh, yeah. And then you don't set up this bizarre dynamic in this relationship where she constantly seems to be pitying him. And this is 1999. Like in terms of our treatment of the blind, we're roughly the same place as we were back then. Like, there, there is no reason to treat it as though he has, I don't know, cancer or he is paralyzed from the neck down. There's just this very bizarre, um, yeah. as if blindness is such a unique thing that no one has ever really dealt with before. But the parameters on how blind people lived then as in now were pretty well set. You know, you know rail was something that had been around for decades at that point um Mm -hmm. you know the cane there's so much things in the world that i don't know maybe i'm being optimistic but your average person i think encountering a blind person might be curious but beyond that it wouldn't be treated as like like her saying don't you want anything else from this life like yeah there's nothing and there's nothing to suggest he can't do a ton of other stuff that's what i mean about the sister like in order to sell that, you needed to have the sister as an impediment. Like, he had planned to go to the pyramid by himself and she wouldn't let him or talked him out mm-hmm. of it. You know, things like that. There was a surgery that could happen, but she never told him about it, so he didn't know. But they don't do that. Instead, they make Mir Servino the driving force of that or her character. And, and when they do that, it just makes it seem like 
she's she it, it, she's forcing it upon him right she's sort of sort of he doesn't need it yeah and then she becomes the stand-in for his father right which makes it even worse because his father left him and his sister and, and their mother when when he was really young mm-hmm. and he'd always felt at fault for that because he always assumed I'm not good enough for my dad. My blindness is a reason, is the reason that he left. And unlike... Uh, and then later sorry. in the movie, they confirm I was going to say, unlike other movies where it turns out later that that's not the case, this movie says, mm-hmm. actually, yeah, you weren't enough, Virgil. Your dad left because yeah. you were blind. <laughs> yeah, you weren't enough for your father, and that is the reason you're responding to Mia in the ways that you are. And she is behaving the same way that your father did right. when he was around is what the movie is telling us that is it's when really fucked up yeah that the stuff with the dad is when this flew directly into uh abc sunday night movie territory like it is like it it's in this could have been right up there with in defense of a married man with judith light i mean just <laughs> i which is also on netflix so good <laughs> um the <laughs> But the, uh, yeah, the, I was just like, this is, that that's when the term melodrama really sort of mm-hmm. like seeped into my mm-hmm. head because like there is a, a, a really poignant movie to be mm-hmm. made, I think, about a situation like this if you handle it deftly. But I mean, this is, bef- no one handled anything deftly before 9-11. So it's just like. <laughs> There's like 15 seconds where they kind of faint towards like, Oh, dad left because he couldn't get over his own guilt about being a failure. Uh, but mm. then it immediately becomes clear that no, he left because his failure was he couldn't make his blind son see. And then he was like, I just don't want to deal with this. It's so weird because <laughs> dad becomes such a villain, but he's also mm. barely in the movie. Like, it's, yeah. like he is this yeah. huge monster for the eight minutes of this conversation. But otherwise, you see him twice. He gets mentioned a couple of times, but like he is not really a factor until he is the only factor it's such a bizarre way to structure your story yeah it it felt like something that could have and really should have been cut in a movie that's already probably a good 40 minutes too long right or you restructure it to make it about dad like you front load that stuff and he becomes like you know um chekhov's gun but it doesn't do either of those things no, it just it just shoves him in there and makes him a really traumatic addition to your movie. Right. Yeah. And it also makes and, the sister a confusing character because part of her thing is she feels like she has to protect her brother. She has to keep him safe because she knows dad left. But she's also the person like drags him to the construction site. And why would she do yeah. that? Yeah, that that's really weird. There is uh, uh, this... The movie has a penchant to overload Virgil um, in a way that I find really really disconcerting Um, because one the entire movie is just happening to him Uh and then two like when he finally does the uh, procedure and gets his sight back like these are optometrists eye surgeons they understand the inner workings of sight and the mechanisms, you know, uh, of the eye and stuff like that. So why would they, one, bring in a camera crew mm-hmm. 
Yeah, uh, that with I a found bright really light shining in his face immediately when they take the bandages off. Why do they have him in this bright white hospital room instead of somewhere dim where his right. eyes could get used to light? That and part of me was just like, oh, well, they're in new territory. Nothing like this has ever happened. Blah blah blah. But also, that doesn't matter because. They still understand how eyes Right, work. and they've also definitely done surgery on eyes for other reasons. So they know, like, when people first come out, when you first expose the eye, like, it works this way. It's too bright. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so much of the conflict right. seems like it could have been solved by, one, medical competence. Mm-hmm. And then, two, uh, just, like, getting him to adjust gradually to seeing things because they're like well can you see uh your sister he doesn't know what his he doesn't know what people look like right yeah i mean he lost his sight when he was three according to the movie so he has the vaguest of understanding and i have no memory mostly it comes from from dreams you know that yeah uh and that yeah scene's just weird and the the movie is very strange about how it deals with when he gets sight. Like it almost seems to lose interest in the fact that he's gotten his sight. You know, again, from yeah. you know reading up on the actual case, there's all these interesting things about like he can't. Uh, the, you know, the real life person couldn't incorporate three dimensions. It's like when you mm-hmm. put a kid on a, a table, if there's glass in the middle, a baby on the table, the baby won't crawl over the glass because they can't understand. They can see through something that is there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he was experiencing things like that. Like he could tell, he could look at a stairwell and see stairs, but he couldn't understand they were in three dimensions. So he didn't believe he could climb it. it to him, it presented like a picture on a wall almost. Um, yeah. So there's all this interesting stuff they could have done, but mostly they just make it about his relationship to his to Mira's character, I mean, even to the point. And apples. Yeah. Yeah, apples. And they introduced this character, the Nathan Lane character, who is this psychologist who works with exclusively blind people, and apparently, and who is a straight man, right? TM. Oh, very straight, a hundred percent. That scene where he yeah. takes him to the strip club did not at all read like Nathan Lane was trying to convince him he was straight. Not a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> it was so odd. And then they didn't like the fact that they didn't do anything with again. Him. And that's They're what I mean. Like... They keep like not dealing with the fact that he's gaining his sight like they just like yeah he got it back it's really weird for him but we're not going to talk about how weird it is for him we are going to take him to a strip club (laughs) (laughs) and that was the closest that the movie came to being interesting i thought was in this section when i was like oh yeah there's all these things that sighted people would not Mm -hmm. think about like the fact that yeah i can see a plant but if I've if I have never seen one before, I don't have any context for what that right. is. Like I don't have any context for what people's faces are if I've never seen one before. So there was a lot of really interesting stuff they could have done, but I feel like they needed to make a choice. They needed to either make a romance movie mm-hmm. or make a movie about this person who got surgery and regained their sight, but then lost it again after a brief period and, and what that would do to a person like emotionally, psychologically, they needed to pick one, but instead they've mushed them together, but not in any kind of elegant way where the romance 
supplements what should be the main story mm-hmm. because this should be a story about Virgil, but it feels more like a story about Amy. Mm-hmm. And they have this other villain character, which is her really weird relationship with her ex-husband, who they are partners in their architectural firm. Mm-hmm. Played and by Stephen Weber, playing the only type of character that Stephen <laughs> Weber ever plays. I've never seen him be anything but this, which is just a raging thinks he's charismatic mm-hmm. asshole. Um, he, he's a great villain in iZombie as Von Duclark, and that is what I will always see him as. Always. But he's like a really obvious, unrepentant asshole about Virgil, about Mm -hmm. the entire situation. But the thing is, Mira is functionally acting like the things that she does are doing the exact same things as the things that he does. Yeah. It's just like she's being nice about it, but she's not. And taking it from from one lens, it also seems like he kind of knows the type of person she is. And he's giving her shit about it. Like, his jokes are all aimed... He, he does pick on uh, Virgil a little bit, but most of his jokes are about, like, yeah, it's not really the what you expected to be the savior, is it? You know, it seems like he's basically giving shit to yeah. his ex-wife. Um, but there's also the bit that he apparently has a new girlfriend or fiancé he's living with in his bizarre Manhattan apartment. Um, and yeah. he's still trying to get with Mira again. Um, they're partners, but... In function, it seems more like he's her boss. I don't really understand how that happens, considering she is the architect and he's just some dude. Like, I don't get the feeling he's an architect as well. Yeah, because we don't really spend much time with her in, like, the process of her work. And that's... So this movie's over two hours long, right? Yeah. We don't spend a lot of time with anything or anyone. One of the things I'm sort of realizing as we're talking, like... It can't yeah. find a consistent, you know, what kind of movie it wants to be. Its emotional tone is bizarre because most of the time it's kind of low level. It's sort of mm-hmm. um, anodyne, you know, like there's sort of a gentleness to it. But then the melodrama kicks in and it's we're off to the races. You know, we're hitting 100 miles per hour in this thing. Um, yeah. And then it, like that, it's over again. It's just very strange. Um and the stuff that happens when we're emotionally intense is weird. You know, there's, this, there's this statue that Val Kilmer's character makes a huge deal about that Mira Sorvino made back in art school, I guess, but she never finished it because she couldn't get it right. And mm-hmm. Look out, it's a metaphor. Um, but <laughs> they have this big fight where she does the speech about, don't you want more than you know being happy and having a job you enjoy and living in your own house and having a dog that's pretty cool. Um, and he gets frustrated and he, he leaves rather than have him be sort of equally kind of a lousy guy. The way they even the scales is he knocks down the statue and breaks it. Mm-hmm. So they can't figure out how to put them on equal footing. So instead they make him break her statue. It's just a like there's all these weird choices. Dick move. Right of the script exactly that's what i mean because he's losing his sight he can't yeah he's agitated and he's losing his sight you know what is he supposed to do it really is as accidental as humanly possible literally and the script wants us to believe that her actions and those actions of his are equally damaging to the other person that they're both this is one of these it's like well you both made a mistake you're both at fault it's like no (laughs) she implied his entire (laughs) existence is a joke 
and he stumbled because he's losing his sight actively in the moment and accidentally broke a statue that she refused to finish anyways that he liked more than she did apparently. Yeah. It, yeah, and, and that's when we get the big speech about like, oh, didn't you want more out of your life? Right. And New York City, I don't know if either of you have ever lived in New York City, but New York City is full of blind men and women. It is a city where blind people live and have lived for years. If she just wanted yeah. him to live with her, she could have just asked him to live with her. He did not need to receive this massive experimental surgery to make it happen. Yeah, because it, 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 it all seemed like she's just like, I like this guy. But He's blind so people aren't allowed in Manhattan. <laughs> everything is great about him except for he's blind and it kind of felt like like almost because he also has a sort of working class job he's a massage therapist and stuff like that and she's this big fancy new york architect who lives in this impossibly large (laughs) new york loft yeah my thoughts during this whole movie was damn she must make a shit ton of money which if you're a successful architect you would it um, appears to be a studio but apartment, but it appears to be a studio apartment that is an entire floor. Yeah. So there's there's my studio right. apartment, all 515 square feet of it, and then there's her studio <laughs> apartment, which hers feels like a right. choice. Exactly. No, you know, that's exactly what, what I can afford. <laughs> when she first comes in, you know, the first scene they have when he gets his sight, um, she mm-hmm. is the only other moment of eroticism where she says, no, no, I want you to see me the first time we have sex after you have sight. So she like strips for him, essentially. Um, it's not like gratuitous, but you know, it's right. Um, and from that impression, her bed's very close to the door. So you're like, oh, it is a typical New York studio. However, later, as this movie goes on, you pull back and you realize it expands like, into the loft from what I like about there's you. There's like a work area. Yeah, exactly. It's it, So it appears to be an entire floor. It's, it's like the size of the apartment from Big where he puts, you know, the video games and the, um, the bunk bed and things like that. And there's just all that other space. That's a, what a, her apartment appears to be. Yeah, it's the difference between... 20-something with student debt in a mm-hmm. studio and open concept. Exactly, yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to talk about the aesthetics of romance movies in the 90s. Um, oh. <laughs> that was That's like, a motorcycle. Gotcha. I, I, I thought you were just like, I'm out of here. No. Well, Screw I, that. I'm not I talking about aesthetics. Which one of us... <laughs> figure out which one of us it came from too so it's like was that was that me did i make that noise um, <laughs> but, but uh yeah i want to talk about the aesthetics of romance movies from the 90s because like especially because this movie sort of drifts in and out of them mm-hmm. because there are parts of the movies that looks like you know every kiss begins with k right <laughs> and then there are parts of the movie that are just like a straight up like that look like almost like er mm-hmm. Right, and yeah. um, I, this movie is trying very hard to sort of live in the the space of romantic drama. Even down to one thing that I've noticed about romantic comedies as I watch them is that they're all soundtracked by like department store jazz, mm-hmm. and um, this is why I say they all sound like a Macy's because <laughs> the but but hey, you know what didn't show up here? Sign sealed delivered. By Stevie Wonder because it was true in every movie where anybody kissed in the nineties. <laughs> um, but the yeah, this uh, 
all of this, you know, they go to places that have like um, stand in jazz bands Mm -hmm. and there's like Louis Armstrong always on the car radio and stuff like that. So there's that. And then when they're like in relationship and everything's supposed to be good, the visuals get really, really gauzy. And what to me that ended up just being super distracting. Mm-hmm. because uh, the movie doesn't have a look and it doesn't it, it just looks like a bunch of different things that have been thrown together and it's very disorienting when you go from like you know this steamy shower scene from like straight out of like passions or something right mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. you, and then you jump back into you know um whatever medical drama is happening right. just visually it took me out of the movie i, fe- I found it disoriented and it's weird too because so the director is erwin winkler who did amongst other things like rocky um mm-hmm. and he has a pretty he's not what i'd call a stylized director but he has an aesthetic mm-hmm. to his work and yeah. one of the cinematographers is john seals who is or john seal who is an incredible cinematographer he did fury road he's done a lot of stuff i think he's officially retired now but he did a ton of work and some really incredible stuff. And both of them seem just utterly adrift in terms of this movie. Um, you know, because there's, it's supposed to be a TV movie. Right, yeah. And there's this sort of like half-hearted attempt at Nora Ephron core, which is like the apartment. Um, and then there's sort of a very lived-in, which would be more Erwin Winkler style, like his house. Is very like mm-hmm. it feels like a normal house, you know. It feels like a house like this guy would yeah. probably mm-hmm. live in. Um, the even though they sort of make it fairy tale-y, the what is it abandoned gas station they go to where it rains on them? Mm-hmm. Again, it fi- that was a very Efroni type. Correct. Touch, that, that that, that yeah. goes sort of fairy tale-y Efroni, um, and then the stuff in the hospital is very clinical and um, sharp, and you know, very bright white and things like that. But it doesn't seem to be just to achieve a different, you know, there are movies that can do that, that make it about like, I want to draw attention to the aesthetic differences because they have meaning. This doesn't Mm -hmm. feel like that. It feels like. Because you know what looks completely different than the rest of that stuff, than the romantic stuff and the hospital stuff? The stuff with his dad. And there were moments where where I took notice of the fact that I liked the cinematography Mm -hmm. and it's at the beginning particularly in the scene right before it rains he he asks her to describe the building she's looking at it does this really cool thing with the trees as she's describing them Mm -hmm. and that whole walk that whole scene has that romanticized vibe Mm -hmm. and I really liked it because at this point this is still a romance movie Mm -hmm. and if they had just let it be a romance movie where one of your leads happens to be blind and they would have just stayed in that cute little upstate town with the lovely spa. Mm-hmm. I think it would have been just a fine movie, right. maybe a bit Hallmark, but fine. Mm-hmm. But then it also had to be these six other things, five of which are deeply problematic mm. <laughs> that it just couldn't decide what it wanted to be. And the unfortunate result of that is that when you are making a movie that is trying to say something about having a disability and you say it in this way where you 
in the end, it tries to tell us, oh, look, no, being blind is actually totally fine. Mm -hmm. But the rest of the movie has been very obvious that they don't feel that way. Mm -hmm. So it felt like a bit of a cop-out at the end of the film after he loses his blindness. And then you see him, um, he's got a different job now. He's moved to New York He's working at the um, like therapy office that Nathan Lane works at mm-hmm. as if like if you're blind, you can only have a job where you work with other blind people. Otherwise, you aren't fulfilled. You can't just be a massage therapist <laughs> like it's yeah. very it's ableist and it's classist. And I thought it was just unnecessary. And it's again a thing where the movie could have done the work to sell that they could have had him volunteering yeah. at that place beforehand you know just feel like he really you mm-hmm. know wanted he was just motivated to be part of that world or he really took a liking to nathan lane's character or whatever the case may be but we don't right. see any of that work so we're left with like you said the impression that like well i guess blind people do get to work with other blind people or <laughs> to make it up in our heads you know to provide headcanon that like oh yeah all right he must have really connected with nathan lane even though we didn't really see that yeah yeah because there's nothing inherently wrong with him going and taking that job Mm -hmm. and and i don't know the real story maybe that is what the real person nope okay nope all right so then it doesn't even have that excuse um there would have been nothing inherently wrong with that of course but they just didn't give us any setup for it so the way that the movie gets there makes it seem like that's what he has to do in order to be fulfilled. He couldn't have been fulfilled in his life mm-hmm. until that moment. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was uh, at first sight. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't we happy about oh, it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And when we come back, we're going to give the movie some freezy awards. Do you know why I remember the cotton candy? Because it's the one thing in my life I remember with my father that was good. Everything else after I went blind is him pushing and pushing, trying to make me into something that I'm not. And then he turns his back on me when his plans fail. But I'm not turning my back on you. I promised you that I wouldn't give up on you, and I'm not. I'm not asking you to give up on me. I'm asking you to give up on the idea of me seeing. Listen, didn't you want something more out of your life? That's all I wanted to give you a chance for. Jesus Christ, I mean, did you think you were going to be sitting there on that little school bus and working in the spa the rest of your life? Didn't you have dreams? Didn't you want to see or learn or do more than that? You have so much to give of yourself. So much to be taken away. And we're back. <laughs> and this is the point in the show where we give the movie Freezy Awards. They can be awards for things that you enjoy, things that you've got shit on in the recap, things you just find funny or anything that you want. Uh, Tim, you're the guest. So you get to give your Freezies first. Do you have Freezies for at first? Uh, I do have Freezies, yes. So uh, my first is um, the My Beautiful Boy Memorial Award, and that's um, Val Kilmer's very pretty. He is. He's super pretty in this movie. Um, I mean, he was, for most of his career, he was a very pretty man, but in this movie in particular, he is very gauzy, very pretty. Um, I told my mom we were doing this movie, and she goes, oh, Val Kilmer. Uh, yeah, he's got some very nice lips. Um, and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, as I know, I've been a big color fan. And my friends and I, we have a scale we judge things by. And the absolute best of anything is Val Kilmer. So, like, The Wire is the Val Kilmer of TV series. 
and that sort of thing. So, you know, he really pays off here because he is a very, very handsome man in this movie. Um, so what's the other end of the scale? Well, Miles the next Teller. level down is Nick Cage. You know, if something's really great, but it's not the best of, then uh-huh. that's Nick Cage. So Sopranos is a Nick Cage-style TV show. Um, mm. But we don't really have the low scale of it. We need to create an anchor system. You're right. It's Ethan Embry. <laughs> oh, there you go. Oh. <laughs> Poor Ethan. Now I'm, just, now I'm just picking on him on purpose. Have you guys, related to Ethan, have you guys seen Blind Spotting? The no. David Dig- uh, Divi Diggs movie. Okay, well, Ethan Embry's in that, and he's uh, he's actually decent. Um, he has a very he's very small decent part. in most things. I feel like <sighs> we just have come. We, we just you guys have, have managed... just repeatedly selected movies that feature him for some reason. No, that was not on purpose. How how are we we people born after 1991? Okay, well we don't to... need to be mean about this, all right? <laughs> how are we supposed so to know that Ethan Embry would not only be in Empire Records but also Richard Donner's timeline? And, and to be also... fair, I didn't know that. So <laughs> and also Eagle Eye. Those are the three. Okay, well movies. that I remember. That's random. Oh, Eagle Eye was the third one? Yeah. Well, Eagle Directed Eye by DJ Caruso. Directed by DJ the Caruso. <laughs> so, yeah. DJ what's his, what's the last thing that DJ Caruso did? I don't know. Was it also with Shia LaBeouf? Was it the um rear they, window? They had a run thing that they did um what is that called? No, that was like Disturbia. Like Transformers Disturbia. I love yeah. Disturbia. I I like it. I own it. Uh there is another Hitchcock to teen thing uh, mm-hmm. that we're going to be doing on the show for our, oh, yeah? our Halloween episodes. Oh, I'm excited for that. I'll check that out. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, the, uh, and, and were those your freezies? Uh, well, that was one. Okay. Um, the, we got distracted. Yeah, Sorry. that's all right. We were talking about important mind. stuff. Um, the next one would be, I guess we need another location freezy, which would be the strip club. Um, which they don't do anything with. Um, like I said, it reads as though Nathan Lane was nervous that Val Kilmer's character was a homophobe, so he decided to take him to a strip club and was like, hey, we both like breasts, right? Man, I love seeing breasts. <laughs> it's just nothing convincing about the scene. <laughs> just it doesn't like, make any you know sense. know what you need to see? <laughs> right. They don't do anything with it, you know, because it would be body, but they could have made something of it you know he took him there for a reason uh the only reason appears to be that i guess nathan lane that's where he does his drinking is scores what I don't if that know. was how he learned about three dimensions well that's right i mean in all seriousness that might have been something <laughs> you can't tell the difference between an apple on a page and an apple in your hand can you tell the difference between breasts <laughs> about how much more that would have worked than what they did with it honestly it's it doesn't make any sense to set that scene in a strip club it doesn't add anything to their discussion um any other bar would work you could have just done the same scene in his office and it would have worked it doesn't make Mm -hmm. any sense um and i think you could even have beers there right yeah and if you did that that would emphasize that they had a relationship he is hanging out after off hours with his doctor and they're having beers in his office. Oh, look, they have a connection. As opposed to, he's got a creepy doctor that drags him to places with naked women sometimes. Yeah. Oh, boy. 
All right, so those are my freezies. I just went with two. I had a duo of freezies this time. Gotcha. Mikey, do you have freezies for At First Sight? Yeah, I struggled with this one. <laughs> That's interesting. Well, see, it's... Uh, well, my first freezy, um, there's a couple of good dogs in this movie. And the dogs are never in any danger, which mm-hmm. is good for my stress levels. Jesse and Pierce, <laughs> I like those names, too. Yeah, mm. they're, they're a couple of good doggos. I like the moment where he walks in and automatically says, Jesse, get off the bed. And then, like, the dog hops off the bed. <laughs> it's cute. I like the dogs. Um, my second freezy, I'm, I'm going to do a compliment sandwich here. Because my second freezy, um, I don't know in what order these episodes are going to come out in, but the last episode we recorded was from Justin to Kelly. Mm. And one of my freezies for that was that at least the movie was blessedly short. <laughs> this movie gets the opposite award. This movie is far too long. Mm-hmm. It clocks in at like two hours and eight minutes. It's a little bit grueling. Yeah. Um... Romantic dramas aren't usually my genre anyway. And then when it's like heaped with ableism and weird cinematography, mm, too mm-hmm. much, too much of it. And uh, my last freezy, I'm going to give to the score and the, and the soundtrack because I did like it. I like a bit of Louis Armstrong, mm-hmm. lots of pretty piano music, especially in the beginning. The music adds to the romance and almost like the whimsy of this like mm-hmm. cute little spa town mm-hmm. um so the music especially works in the first like 30 40 minutes or so those are my freezies gotcha well my first freezy is going to uh a movie full of oh hey you uh kind of <laughs> actors um uh, the sur- the not the surgeon but the doctor dr aaron is uh that they contact at first to tell them about the experimental surgery and all that's Bruce Davidson, who mm-hmm. I know primarily uh, from the first X-Men movie. And then turns into the water guy turns into the water guy. <laughs> um, and then um, my second freezy, it's all actors goes to Kelly McGillis, who I thought availed herself the best of any actor in the movie. Uh, and uh, you know this is the only other thing that I've seen her in besides Top Gun and she's great in both things so two for two Kelly McGillis go ahead I will say she was very good but the movie does a very weird thing is they make the joke about her being jealous a couple times too many that you start to think like Mm -hmm. does the movie think that they're erotically attracted to each other (laughs) like there's no chemistry between them but the way they make the jokes makes it feel like oh wait is there something here that I'm just missing yeah. No, I did make a note that I was glad that they clarified that she was his sister at the end of the first scene she is, because I was like, is he telling her about this woman that he's interested in that smells like coffee cake and she's his wife? I'm getting wife vibes. <laughs> <laughs> and then they said sister, and I was like, oh, okay, well, that makes this less weird for now, but right. <laughs> that didn't last. Um, and the uh, last... Um actor uh freezy that i have is you know the we'll call this the nathan lane award for most valiant effort at trying to convince us (laughs) that there is anybody who looks and speaks like nathan lane 
that has any desire to be in a strip club full of naked women. (laughs) At least you tried. What a specific award. I I wonder if we're going to get to use that again. Mm -hmm. Yes. The Nathan Lane Award for Best Effort. Uh, and those are our those are my everybody's freezies. And now's the point in the show where we decide whether or not the movie is still fresh or freezer burnt. Tim, what say you? It's freezer burnt. It's too long, and I mean, I, I I'm convinced it would have felt this way back then too. But 20 years later, the ableism is just brutal. Like, yeah, you'd swear that blindness was an unheard of disorder till 1998. The way this movie treats it, it's bizarre. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a lot. Uh, and Micah, what about you? Yeah, yeah, it's freezer burn. It, it made me feel real bad. I didn't, didn't like it. Nope. All right, and for me, I'm also going to say it's freezer burnt. Um, this was an interesting experiment in doing a, a drama <laughs> for this. <laughs> I mean, I think you, I guess you could, you could say that Samson and stuff is a drama, but I, I think that um, the movies that we usually do are, a tiny bit more high concept than this but i wanted to give this a uh-huh. try because i was like what an interesting story and it mm-hmm. just turns out that they didn't do it right <laughs> so <laughs> uh yeah that was at first sight should we close on what actually happened to him oh yes yeah. yes i i would like to know so the real life uh virgil i forget what his real name is um uh, Sh- uh cheryl jennings cheryl jennings was um a, a significantly heavier man and he ended up having a stroke so he had all the problems that we saw in the movie in terms of integrating images and things like that but the reason he ends up losing his sight again is he has a massive stroke and part of the cost is his eyesight but he also becomes paralyzed so he loses his job he loses his home and uh he does end up moving in with his wife and i think it's georgia is what they say at the end credits mm-hmm. but it is not like a the fairy tale that they present us in the movie where they hook back up in New York and they're able to put bygones behind them and they relive their romance. It's had a massive stroke. You lost everything except her. So yeah, all that stuff on the park bench and all the stuff about him getting another job. None of that ever happened, which is what I mean by like, it's a much sadder story. So this just adds another level of exploitiveness. Yeah. It's super weird. Well, that makes me like it even less. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I saw the movie and I read everything about it. And I was like, oh my gosh, it's so much worse. Like, I just, I, I don't know who read this article or this thing and was like, that's a fun movie. That's a romance we got to show people. I guess it's yeah. got to be the same person who read Hunchback of Notre Dame at Disney and right. thought, oh, that's yeah. good. <laughs> I, I can't. For kids. Well, well, that's the thing. It's, it's a, that's, that's really funny. It's because it's, Take Hunchback, for example. I've always wanted Disney to make to take more chances like that. Because mm-hmm. even if Hunchback turns out differently than the book, which it did, when I was in high school, I read The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Uh, don't. Um, <laughs> the, it is, because it's long and it's so sad, especially if you know the film version primarily, yeah. and you get to the end and you're just like, oh, they a uh, hundred years later, they dug up a mass gypsy grave and Quasimodo's <laughs> skeleton is wrapped around an uh, Esmeralda skeleton and you're just like well you know him getting carried off by the Parisians is uh better um the, <laughs> so but the and ending of was... sorry go ahead 
No. Oh, I was just going to say, and that was the vibe that literally saved Notre Dame Cathedral. <laughs> like, it is, yeah, because at the end of the day, I mean, like, um, not to say that uh, any old thing would be better. I think Hunchback is, is just sort of like, uh, a, the, the book itself is like a big sort of like slog of despair. Mm-hmm. Um, but despair for de- despair's sake, because the point of the movie is, or the point of the book isn't even the despair. It's not like Les Miserables, mm-hmm. where the point is the sort of ashen sadness and brutality of France at that time. That they are, the, if you will, miserable. Yes, that they are miserable. <laughs> but like the hunchback is just about the cathedral, but like they're just like, look at all this like turgid drama happening around the cathedral. Yeah. And, 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 and that's. <laughs> and it and it worked and it worked because then the, everybody was just like you know what I do like looking up at that bill we shouldn't tear it down um, well, so the yeah it's it's one of those things where I was I was always fat I always like tried when I was in high school I was uh, obsessed with trying to figure out a way to do a Disney animated musical out of The Catcher in the Rye. <laughs> and, oh, <laughs> be my guess. The problem with Hunchback isn't the liberties they take with the source material. It's that they make it weirdly erotic. That's the problem I have with it. It's like, it's sexually obsessed and it's for eight-year-olds. Like, that's the problem with Hunchback for me. Yeah. But I think the, I, the the thing about Hunchback is that it is an, it is an inherently horny story. Uh, like, like right. the, the villain literally burns down Paris because mm-hmm. he, like, can't go take care of it himself. So it's like... Who amongst us? <laughs> who amongst us has not burned hairs in a fit of sexual frustration but uh but yeah that is that is that surely is a lot <laughs> yeah well tim thank you so much for coming back for this thank you so much for having me i'm always happy to talk about val aren't we he is the he is the shining spot even with his jonathan taylor thomas-esque haircut oh it's Ooh. so big in it Wow. Them highlights. Yeah. Oh, the highlights. The highlights glisten. Mm-hmm. It's a good time. <laughs> so, Tim, what would you like to plug? Where can people find you on the internet? Uh, well, I guess the biggest thing I want to plug right now is The Spool. That's thespool.net. I'm doing social media over there. I also do reviews um, periodically. And we just were chosen by Rotten Tomatoes as one of their featured, um, well, in our case, websites, but featured critics for the week last week. Um, nice. So we're really trying to capitalize on that. We're you know we're getting more hits. We're um, raising more money for the site so we can pay writers better. Um, so I'm encouraging everybody to go to the spool.net. And if you like what you see, consider donating to Patreon. It really helps. Sweet. Oh, that's awesome. Definitely there will be links to that in the show notes. CJ, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me at CJ period. That's C-E-E-J-A-Y in the word period. I'm assuming you, ha- you know how to spell it on Twitter and Instagram. <laughs> Uh, and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> and you can find me on Twitter at MikeRenAB and on Instagram at LowKeyStrokeTheLemur. You can find the show at Below32Pod everywhere. That is Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Give us a like. Give us a follow. Drop us a review. Five-star reviews help other people find the show easier. And if you don't think it's five stars, we'd love to hear what you think we could be doing better. CJ, what are we watching next week? You know how I like to start these. Once upon a time. Oh, yes. 
there was a uh, a television channel called MTV. Tell me more about this MTV in, in the ha- in the Halcyon days <laughs> of cable television, and they uh, used to air lots of music videos, but then got into other programming, uh, most notably animation uh and they had a show on there called liquid television and uh there was a short subject series about uh a a rebel enforcer trying to take down a totalitarian government and it was really weird and uh all the people in the show look really weird and the show didn't make sense but it didn't matter because it was mtv and nothing made sense and they decided to try and fashion an actual narrative out of it and put Charlize Theron in the middle of it. Because next week, we are unthawing 2005's live-action adaptation of MTV's Eon Flux. This one is my fault. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) So we will be unpacking all of that (laughs) next week. So stay tuned for that. And until then, y'all stay frosty. Bye-bye. Bye.